This is part two in a two-part series. Please listen to part one before listening to part two. This series discusses crime scenes and murder. Listener discretion is advised. In this episode, there is also brief mention of suicidal ideation. If you or someone you love is struggling, you can get help by calling 1-800-273-8255. This is The Fall Line. Last time on the fall line, we began in Aiken, South Carolina. It's a town in the western portion of the state where our friend Renetta DeBose of WJBF News had highlighted an unsolved homicide through her ongoing series, Cold Case Project. The murder was the death of a recent high school graduate from a very large and well-known family in the area. As ABC Columbia reported, on Sunday, February 5, 2012, Super Bowl Sunday, gunfire interrupted the celebrations across Aiken. At around 11.30 p.m., Moses Williams Jr., also known as Fat Man, who was just 19 years old, was shot. He'd been sitting in his car outside his girlfriend's mother's apartment in the Han Village housing complex when the shooting occurred. Per WACH News, his girlfriend told police that she'd just entered the apartment when she heard the gunfire. She claimed that when she came back outside, she found Moses slumped in his car with a gunshot wound to the head. She then managed to shift him to the passenger seat so that she could drive him to the hospital. No witnesses came forward to say that they'd actually seen Moses get shot, which was strange since the neighborhood was well-populated in 2012. According to the Cold Case Project interview, with Aiken Public Safety Captain Marty Sawyer in 2021, quote, At that time, Han Village was a thriving place for people to live, and there was a good bit of crime there. But at that time of night, there should have been a lot of people out and about, end quote. So it was doubly strange that, though the gunshot was heard by Moses' girlfriend and her sister, certainly, and others, no one reported to the Aiken Department of Public Safety that they'd actually laid eyes on the shooter as the crime was taking place. Moments after Moses Williams Jr. was shot and his girlfriend drove off, headed for the hospital, his family arrived at the scene of the crime. They'd been waiting for him to arrive at a family Super Bowl gathering when they'd heard the news. As we told you last time, his family followed to the local hospital where his mother, Tamika, his stepfather, Benny, his biological father, Moses Sr., and his sister, Vanessa, and dozens of other family and friends gathered to await news of Moses' condition. Things at the hospital were tense, and an altercation occurred between Tamika, who wanted answers, and Moses' girlfriend and her sister. Aiken's Department of Public Safety officers were on scene, and they separated the grieving women. When we spoke to Captain Marty Sawyer of the department, we asked him about that night. Though he wasn't assigned to Moses' case at that point, he was with the department at the time. 
The family described really high emotionality at the hospital where Moses was taken. Can you recall what that was like for your officers? Well, I wasn't there. Um, I wasn't an investigator on call that night, and I wasn't the original investigator investigating this case. He's retired um, since this homicide happened. But, you know, when any family gets a call that a loved one's been shot and killed, stabbed and killed, killed in a wreck, uh, obviously, the emotions are high when they get to the hospital. And the officers, um, you know, they, especially when a young man or a young child is killed, especially in shooting or something violent like this, it affects the officers because um, it makes them think of their families, make them think of their, their children or their brothers and sisters. So when they respond to the hospital anywhere where somebody's died of violence and the family's emotional, everybody around there's, you know, their emotions are running high. They're very lenient to let the family grieve. And as you know, people grieve differently. Some people, you know, just want to cry. Some people want to sit by themselves. Some people want to holler and scream. Uh, so the officers are very lenient um, with the families at that time. But, you know, we also have to take into consideration the safety of the hospital, the safety of people at the hospital being treated, and the safety of the family. Uh, we normally call extra people in or send extra people down there because we don't know the entire situation. Is there going to be retaliation at the hospital? You know, whoever done the homicide, are they coming down there to cause more trouble with the family? You know, we just don't know. For Tamika's family, the unrest at the hospital was only the beginning of a long and tragic night. Tamika would be faced with a decision to take Moses off life support and to watch her eldest child slip away, dead from gun violence at only 19 years old. Fat man, who worked seven days a week to support himself, his girlfriend, and his one-year-old son from a previous relationship. In fact, Tamika had to convince him to take the evening off work just to celebrate the Super Bowl with family. She'd spoken to him on the phone only minutes before he was shot. It was all difficult for her to process. She told us that she left the room and headed into the area of the hospital that had been reserved for her family, though there were so many people there that still others waited outside, and told them the news. Moses Williams Jr., fat man, had died. After she left the hospital, Tamika tells us she went straight to Moses' girlfriend's mother's house, where there was a heated confrontation. Both Moses' girlfriend and her sister insisted they knew nothing of the murder, why Moses was shot, or who had done it. His girlfriend's mother called 911, and the Aiken Department of Public Safety arrived at the complex for a second time that night to escort Tamika off the property. She was not arrested. When we spoke with Moses' stepfather, Benny, he described early investigative efforts in the case, which began that following morning. Benny told us that the then-investigator, Officer Glover, arrived at the family's home first thing to speak with them about Moses Jr. and to gather initial information. Benny described the now-retired Officer Glover as really on top of it and praised his early investigative efforts. In fact, he told us that the family still sees Mr. Glover, now a security guard in town, and that he still asks about Moses' case. In those early days, it seemed like there might be a quick resolution. According to the Augusta Chronicle, 
the Aiken Department of Public Safety made several early arrests while pursuing Moses's case, but those arrested were not directly charged with his murder. Instead, while officers pursued tips and leads just days after Moses' death, the Chronicle reported that they arrived at a home in Aiken seeking to interview an individual and, quote, when they arrived, several people ran from the house, one with a handgun. In total, Aiken DPS arrested three men on various charges of failure to comply with lawful order, drug charges, a possession with intent to distribute crack cocaine, possession of a weapon by a convicted felon, and unlawful carrying of a weapon. But no charges came relating to Moses. In the week following the murder of Fat Man, Tamika told us that her family pursued their own investigation, directly interviewing anyone they felt might have knowledge, at least until law enforcement told them that it could affect the case and asked Tamika to have everyone step back. So I t- I'm going to tell you what I told the police. I told them, I said, I tell you what, I will back my family down, but I'm only giving y'all 10 years to solve this case. And you know what? February of this year made 10 years. And do you know, just about every month, my family calling me to my, give us the green light. It's time to turn up. And I'm trying not to do that. But these cops is not on their job. And I'm getting fed up. Because like I told them, my mom's case was never solved. And I will not sit back and let my son hurt him be not get solved. Those early arrests had seemed like a hopeful sign. But weeks stretched into months and then years. And the family hasn't seen anyone charged with the murder of Moses Williams Jr. Tamika tells us that tips have come in directly to the family through the years. They've heard from people in town, ones both known to them and previously unknown, in person and on social media. They've even been shown the social media accounts of individuals who are alleged to be involved. Some incarcerated people, who don't necessarily know the family but know Moses' story, have gotten in contact as well to share information that they've heard. All in all, certain names have come up consistently, and Tamika and Benny say they have passed those names on to Aiken's Department of Public Safety. What happens then, in an open investigation, has been unclear. As we've been told time and again by law enforcement, only so much can be shared with family and with media to protect a case's ability to be prosecuted. But it's been frustrating for Tamika and Benny and the rest of the family, who aren't sure what's being done with the information that they've brought forward. Benny talked to us about what he most fears for Moses' case. That they're going to let the case slip away. And... You know, the only information that he gets is the information that we get, and we give it to him, and it's like there's nothing being done about it, you know? We got the information, and we gave it to him that the guy that did it, you know, was already incarcerated for something else. It's troubling, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes it makes you want to go out and do something, you know what I'm saying? Your wife was saying it's sometimes hard to hold people back from doing something themselves. It is. But we we do our best because we want the law to take care of it, you know what I'm saying? So we can really find out what really went on, you know? It's been almost 10 years. And especially recently, it sounds like the information they got is very clear. Yes, very. 
inmates that's locked up with the guy that they say did it, and they say he t- he tell them about it. And you know, you know, the thing that troubles me about that is that young black men and young white men got killed right across like a park, like across the parking lot, right where he got killed. at. the next week they had a reward up for the person who did it. You know what I'm saying? So. And, and not being racial or nothing, but I feel like that had a lot to do with it. You know what I'm saying? Because a white guy was involved in it. And, and, and I, I've never seen you, but I just feel that way. And, and they saying that, uh, who they say did it? The GBI or something? They saying the federal feds or somebody like that did it because of the nature of it. But they got shot just like, they got shot in the back of the head. But my son got shot in the head too. So I feel like they had a big board up about it and everything. He he didn't get none of that and still haven't got any of that. Tamika also feels that a reward could be helpful in Moses' case. That 10-year mark she laid out will pass on February 5th, 2022. And so far, the only reward money available has been the $1,000 offered by Crime Stoppers. My son was not about trouble. Like, like, like they told, the police told on the news, they talked to over almost 300 people and not one person had anything bad to say about my son. But like I told him, I'm not going nowhere. As long as I got breath in my body, and as long as his son, she asked me, Nana, when they going to get done for killing my daddy? Oh, I'm pushing it to every extent I have to. There was only a $1,000 reward offered in his case. And like I've been talking with some task force that they have, that they put up billboards and um, they raise money for awards, you know, for information, just like the the white guy and the black guy that was sitting in the car got killed in hundreds, right out there the same spot my son got killed. They actually put that billboard up. The task force raised that money and had a $10,000 reward. And do you know they had that case solved within four months? People were calling in, people gave up information. Have they told you, is there anything you can do to get a higher reward? Yeah, they told me to to stay in touch with the task force and see if they can put him, they have a list of something where they can do, they'll do the beer board board and all that stuff. But they gave me the information to call. It's probably been about, it's probably about six months ago. And I've been, we've been calling ever since. But sometimes it just get overwhelmed, overwhelming. It's frust- I get frustrated very quickly. And now my memory, ever since my son passed, my memory and stuff, I do stuff and can't remember for next week what I did. Because my mind, it just goes, it wonders, you know, and I can't focus like I used to, you know. And I'm so angry and bitter, you know, inside that. I just I just try to go to work and come home. And when I get home, I was going to tell you, I just come in, I cook dinner, and I go to bed. You know, I work at a store up here, and uh, the other store is Sally. And um, sometimes I be at work and I just cry, you know. But I try not to put too much focus into it. My mother-in-law, she, she talks to me and stuff, but she tells me, like, every year I used to celebrate his birthday. I have a big party for his birthday. and. Like the day he died, we have a big party. But my mother-in-law, she was like, you know, it's time to let, you know, kind of let that go, you know, so you can try to heal and get, you know, get, you know, get past this 
So this year I didn't do anything, you know. We just came home and, you know, made some drinks and just me and the kids and the grands and my husband, you know, did something privately at home. We didn't do anything. The $10,000 reward that Tamika and Benny mentioned and the corresponding billboard? According to WJBF, the reward was offered in the double homicide of Harry Butler and Logan Novak, who were murdered in the Han Village complex in November 2017. Per WJBF, both the reward and the two billboards designated to advertise its existence were sponsored by the ATF, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives, and the billboards went up in March of 2018. By May of that year, there had been an arrest made in the case. And as of February of 2021, the alleged gunman, Anthony Rice, had been denied bond and was awaiting trial. Tamika thinks there are people in Aiken with information who will come forward for Moses, as they did in the murders of Harry Butler and Logan Novak. When we spoke with Aiken Department of Public Safety's Captain Sawyer, we asked him about possible suspects and the possibility of a reward. Would you say in this case that the community was forthcoming with much information as the investigation got going? You know, we, we did receive some phone calls from community people, but the, the people that we feel may have witnessed this or may know about it or know who done or have an idea about it, we don't think they were forthcoming. We feel that it was witnessed by somebody, and uh, we feel that we've interviewed that person or a couple people, and they aren't forthcoming. We don't, we don't feel that they're forthcoming and telling us the truth. Has the idea of a reward ever been raised? Yes, we've talked about it. Um, we're partners with some federal agencies, and we we tossed that around. The only money that's been offered so far is the crime we have crime stoppers here in South Carolina and you can get up to a thousand dollars for information that that leads to the arrest uh, if you give information and obviously we haven't made an arrest or received enough information to make an arrest so that thousand dollars would be there but you know that that's the only reward that's been offered so far but we keep on going do the best we can that's all we can do that I do think we have interviewed one or two people that know what happened and know who the shooter was. But I do also think with the public's assistance or somebody who come forward that this case could still be solved. Every day goes by, it's going to be harder and harder and more difficult, but I think the possibility of solving it is still there. That's the balance Moses Jr.'s family lives with. The knowledge that people know what happened and that they aren't speaking to those who can ultimately close the case. At this point, the family has heard stories that give them a sense of what the motive for Moses' shooting might have been. And, of course, this is hearsay, but it's all they have to work with. Tamika's theory is that Moses' death may have come down to a horrible mistake, retribution for something that he didn't do. Moses often loaned his car out to friends when he was at work, And there's reason to believe that a crime may have been committed by someone other than Moses, someone using his car, without his knowledge. The theory holds that the shooting at Han Village 
was retribution for that crime and a case of mistaken identity. The shooter saw someone in the car and didn't know it was Moses, perhaps didn't know him at all. They simply recognized the vehicle. Aiken's Department of Public Safety agrees that Moses' murder may have occurred because of a scenario like that. Specifically, Captain Sawyer told us, quote, We have not ruled out and we do believe that mistaken identity is very, very probable in this case. We did not speak to Moses' girlfriend for this series, one of the reasons we aren't using her name here. So the following information should be taken as the feelings of Moses' family based on their own conversations within the community over the past decade. She and her sister have always been considered earshot witnesses in the case, and that hasn't changed. And to be clear, Tamika and her family have never thought that Batman's girlfriend had anything to do with his death. Tamika remembers how grief-stricken she was after Moses' murder. But Tamika also feels that people around his girlfriend have important knowledge about who was involved in the shooting and what their motives are. And Tamika hopes that if anyone has more direct or retroactive knowledge about who might have pulled that trigger, that they will come forward and help close Moses' case. Maybe a reward would help. Maybe safety would still be an issue. She and the rest of the family can't say. They can only reflect on what it's been like since Moses was murdered. Moses' sister, Vanessa, who often felt more like his twin, told us about the personality changes she's experienced in the last decade. I say to myself a lot, like I don't deal with nobody. I stay usually to myself because I think about it a lot. think about it like every day, all the time. And it get harder every day seeing these same people and it's like nothing being done about it. And that also changes you as a person because it's like if the law can't handle, can't handle what happened or what, who can? Would you say that it's harder to trust people? Very hard. It's very hard. Tamika told us that some of the people who've been accused of involvement in Moses' death have been around Vanessa and her other children in public, and that it's been frightening. Without any charges or finality, there are only rumors. And there's no protection for Vanessa or the others. Tamika and Benny warn them to be careful, but they already are. And as for the next generation, Tamika has a close relationship with Moses' son and with his son's mother. Her grandson stays with her often and calls and visits every holiday. But with that close relationship comes many hard conversations about Moses Jr.'s death and what it means for his son, only a year old when his father died. Everything is about his dad. Even though I don't see how he can really remember him, but he would always say, no, you remember my daddy used to call me daddy man? Yeah, so that's all he called him. You know, and sometimes, and if he get upset, he'll go to cry. I just want my daddy. I just want my daddy. Why did he kill my daddy? And the most hateful thing is that he always asks me, now, when I get big enough, I'm going to find who killed my daddy and I'm going to kill him. And I tell him, no, I don't want you to grow up with hatred in your heart. You know, but 
I used to just love seeing him with his son, you know, because he was a great father. And he loved that boy. And I always told him, I said, you know what? Your dad is not here, but he left you something to make sure that you're going to be okay when you get older. Because he left all his insurance money to his son. Moses Jr.'s own father figures, both his biological father, Moses Sr., and his stepfather, Benny, who raised him, have dealt with their own pain. For Moses Sr., it had to do with where he and Moses Jr. stood just before the murder. They had just had a big argument like a week or two before. So they had really fell out. I mean, they said some words to each other. And so when, when he got killed, he took it very hard because he said he wasn't able to apologize to him. And, you know, he he hated that he passed without him being able to say he's sorry. Um, but I, I had him to go. I used to go sit with him every day at the, at the funeral home, sun up to sundown to the funeral. So I had him go sit and talk with him and apologize. And he said he felt a lot better afterwards. For Benny, it was a complex grief, losing his son, but also nearly losing his wife. My husband, he's, oh my, I think that was the first time I ever seen him cry. And he just punched your walls, and oh my, he, he really took it hard. Because see, he don't have any biological kids of his own. So my kids were his kids. He took it. He took it real hard. And just like right now today, we was on the way to get Chinese food. And I was like he was like, "Well, you think what you think? Fat man won't eat." And he was like, "Oh God, you know." So, you know, he still calls his name. <laughs> it's been a strain on our marriage. Um, we actually had separated for almost a year. I didn't want to be around nobody. I just wanted to be to myself. You know, I just wanted to act out. You know, and. My husband will never give up, you know. So he was like, look, he's gone. We can't bring him back. You know he would want us to be together. We just got to fight together. So that's one reason why I got a job. Because <laughs> I'm always a housewife. I never worked. I hadn't worked in over 22 years. And my husband was like, maybe you need to find a little job or something, take your mind off things. So my girlfriend worked up at the store up here in Salem. She was like, you want to work? Come to work. So I've been working there now two years, and it does ease my mind and help me from thinking a lot. Keeps you busy. Yes. These grandkids keep me busy. I feel like I've come a long way, but I still have my moments, you know. You know, I actually had to take a week off work, week before last, because I had the holidays coming up, and I, I don't know, I had really got in my feelings, and every holiday, I, you know, I get like that, and, you know, I, I just my my daughter and you know, my grandkids and stuff, they just be like, Okay, leave her alone, she in her mood, you know. Cause I would just go in my room and shut my door. You know. I just like to be alone sometimes. And try not to let my mind overthink. Because I was at one point I was in a very bad rage <laughs> where I was just doing stupid stuff and so I had to come I had to come down from a long way. I was very that took for a loop when he got killed. It's like I lost a part of me. 
you know. I mean, I, I told my daughter, I even tried to commit suicide. And, you know, when I had to go to my head, my daughter walked in my bedroom and she said, she punched out my bedroom window. And she said, Mama, do you not have me? Am I not here? I know Fat Man was, was your favorite, but I'm here. I'm still your daughter. And that woke me up. Because I felt, you know, this is wrong. You know, he's gone, but yes, I still have her. And she reminds me of him. She's totally the opposite of him, but she does a lot to remind me of him. And she's she misses him so much. I'm telling you, she she lays in bed and cries sometime at night. I can hear her crying. Or she in the shower when she's crying. I mean, she really gets in her moods. And I think that's the most hurtful part because there's nothing I can do. She gets so upset and be so, just want to retaliate, you know, and I have to talk her down and, you know, and tell him, he's still here, you know, he loves you. and So that's why, like, you know, he loved Myrtle Beach. So every Christmas we spend Myrtle Beach, the Christmas in Myrtle Beach. Matter of fact, I just booked our our condo last night. <laughs> Has this made you so much more protective of Vanessa? Oh my gosh, yes. She gets she's so tired of me because I'm texting and calling her all day long. Even like she's at work right now, I'll be call I'll be texting her a little bit. If she go out somewhere, I'm calling her all night long. I don't go to sleep till she comes home. I don't care what time it is. I'm not going to sleep till my baby is in this house. Do you think it's made her more cautious as well? Yes. She don't trust people. Family functions, I can barely get her to come. Um, she's a, she likes to stay to herself. She's, she's not the same as she was before he died. Because they were very close. They were very close. For Tamika, one of the most emotionally fulfilling things she's done in a long time is to find a group of mothers in and around South Carolina who can understand what she's been through. It's led her to others who share her passion for action and change. She talked to us about what that work has been like. I've joined this group where we do protests. We just did a protest at the courthouse. A few months ago, Stop the Violence March. After my son first got killed, I was with a group of women from Augusta, Edgefield. It was older women where their kids, they, you know, kids got killed in gun violence and stuff. We were going over to go to different places, speaking to the young people and stuff about the violence. I kind of fell back from that when I moved to Sally. And so after I moved down here um, last year, the young lady that uh, I went to school with, her son was killed by some of his friends, so-called friends, and they threw him on the back of the truck and left him on the back road. Her sister organized the group, stopped the violence group for that. So she was trying to involve as many parents and stuff as possible to as lost kids to violence. So I joined that group. Um, it's they, it's nice, you know. They, they go around, they speak, do marches. 
still, it's been 10 years, but every time we have something like that, I don't be able to talk. Because as soon as I go to talk, I go to bust out and cry, you know, because it's still embarrassing to matter to me. So my sister, which is my cousin, my grandma raised us together. She, um, she's older, and she actually been a big part in this whole thing I've been going through because she's always there. She always be the one to speak for me because <laughs> I can't ever do it. So, but, you know, it's it's nice to have other mothers that you guys can talk to and that's going through the same thing I'm going through. Of all the people we spoke to, Moses Jr.'s Uncle Al, the elder of the family, as our friend Renata described him in her own article on Moses's case, has offered up the most spiritual reflection on the events that have occurred since Moses's murder. As Al has waited 10 years to hear of an arrest of some resolution in Moses's case, he's had plenty of time to think. Not only about the case, but about his own family and Moses's special place within it. And also how to process the grief of unfinished business within the frame of his own faith. Over the years, you know, and I always go back to that night, that night that we heard what happened. Uh, me, his mom, his dad, um, my my wife, we were all together. Super Bowl night. And uh, we got the call saying that he had been shot. And uh, that night, man, I, I won't kid you, we uh, we 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 wanted blood, and and it was wrong because you should never want vengeance, because the Bible says that vengeance is the Lord's. So you know, but at that time it was just who would do this to such a good guy? You know, it kind of puts you in the mind of when Peter, who was one of Jesus' number one disciples, when they came to take Jesus, he cut off the man's ear in the Bible, and Jesus told him, "No, put the sword away. Don't fight with the sword. Fight through the spirit." And so, but at that night, all we could think about was we want blood. We want we want to find out who did this. And I'm glad we didn't find out. You know, I'm be honest with you. I'm glad we didn't ask the people that done it because it would have been real trouble. And I and I know that. But you know, God has reasons for everything. And even to this day, leading up into now, the family still comes together. We still have good times. Uh, we we still remember him. We remember him for who he was, you know, the laughing guy, the guy that took care of his child, the guy that, you know, he was quiet, you know, didn't, didn't get into a whole lot of emotional stuff or a whole lot of uh, yelling with anybody. So, but we remember him for who he was. And every now and then somebody comes up and we'll get to go through our emotional times with him, you know, speaking about who he was and what he did. But at the same time, we have to know and understand that all things lie in the hands of God. And that night that he was killed, we have to realize that God seen it. And we just pray that justice be served. Uh, that man was loved by all of us. I'm talking about, like, you know, you got some people in your family, and, and I don't know if you can attest this, but you got some people in your family that are just, they're bad. They do bad things. <laughs> you love them. You love them. But they, they're, they're no good, and you just like, man, you know, I, I really don't want to be around that person. You know, I love them because they're my family, but I don't want to be around them. He was one that you wanted to be around. He was somebody that when you did something, you wanted to invite him there. He was, and I'm not saying this just to say it. It's, it was real. He, he, he just carried a great vibe with him. He carried a great spirit with him. He was very respectful. You know, just, I love him. Man, 
I love everything about it. And, you know, just to have them snatched away through through foolishness, through through complete, I don't know, through complete evilness, it just didn't make sense to me. But as I said, even today, my family has come together. We, we're, we're together today, and we're enjoying each other. We're enjoying life. We're enjoying love. We're enjoying that the sun rose and we were on this side of the dirt this morning. You know what I'm saying? So that, that's, we're enjoying that right now. And even with him not here and many others that have passed on, we, we still, we, we have to stand because we realize that life don't stop. When, even when somebody else's life stops, our lives can't stop. We have to continue to walk on. We have to continue to hold faith and we have to continue to pray and know that God, that God is the orchestrator. He's the one that's in control. Just trust him. And he'll make everything all right in me. And that's, that's what I believe. Can you think of anything that you would want his son to know about Moses? You had a great dad. You had a dad that loved you more than you would ever know. You had a dad that I believe loved him more than the air that, that we breathe. I do believe that with the time that I seen him spend with him, with the time I seen him carry him, with the time I seen just how he looked at him, you could tell he loved his son more than life itself. I believe Fat Man loved his son enough that he would have laid down his life for him. I believe that. His son knows it. I promise you, his son knows it. He knows that loved him. That, that feeling just doesn't leave you. When you're loved like that, it doesn't leave you, no matter who you are. In February of 2022, it will be 10 years since Moses Williams Jr. was fatally shot outside an apartment in the Han Village Complex in Aiken, South Carolina. His case is very solvable, and his family has waited a decade. Please, if you have any information regarding the murder of Moses Williams Jr., call the Aiken Department of Public Safety at 803-642-7620. Crime Stoppers of the Midlands offers rewards of up to $1,000 for tips. Call 888-CRIME-SOUTH-CAROLINA or 888-274-6372. And if you have the ability to assist in offering a reward in Moses' case, please contact the Aiken Department of Public Safety. If you know of a case that should be covered on the fall line, there's a link to our case submission form in the show notes. Thank you for listening. The Fall Line is a fully independent show, and we appreciate listener support. It allows us to do research, obtain FOIAs, pay our content advisors, and support and donate to the causes we care about. If you try out the products we advertise, please use our sponsor codes. It really helps. And if you'd like to support the show and the stories we cover, join us on Patreon. We're raising Patreon funds to continue to fund the Millbrook Twins billboard and to build a therapy fund for families who've been on the show. Each and every one of our patrons helps us continue this work, and we're so grateful. On Patreon, you can get early release ad-free versions of our regular episodes, plus blogs and videos for only $5 a month. We've also added video live streams, which all patrons can enjoy, starting at just a dollar. 
The Fall Line is written, hosted, and researched by Laura Norton, with additional research by Brian Waters, Kim Fritz, and Kiana Burgess. Interviews by Brooke Hargrove. Produced, engineered, and scored by Maura Curry. Content advisement by Brandy C. Williams, Liv Fallon, and Vic Kennedy. And, as always, our most special thanks to Angie Dodd. Currently, our monthly donation is going to private investigations for the missing. Please join us in supporting this nonprofit. They need funds to help families access the services of PIs.